Praise the Lord. It's Greg Clarkson again for the uh, second installment of the New Man Now podcast. I'm happy that you're here today listening. I'm making some uh, adjustments to my equipment and so forth, and hopefully the quality will just keep getting a little better and a little bit better. So uh, thank you for bearing with me as I kind of learn the equipment a little bit and I start adding to my equipment and, and achieving a little bit better quality as we go on. But I just I just trust that the Holy Spirit, He is the teacher. I trust that what be what is delivered as I just uh, endeavor to just hear that inner voice and deliver as purely as I can and that witness, that inspired utterance, that uh, the power is in the points, not in the uh, technology. Praise God. So... Let's, let's repeat our confession. Again, this is New Man Now. I'm talking about Numa, the spirit man. So I'm talking about who we are as spirit first and coming to a place of awareness of who we are as spirit first and living from our spirit man, which is where God resides. It's the perfection of our being that has been rendered as a result of our having been made new creatures in Christ. So just repeat with me this confession. Let's get this confession in our mouths if we don't have it. And it just helps us provide more focus and attention and really build capacity for this understanding inside of us. And the confession is this. I'm spirit first. Created in the image of my heavenly father, I'm spirit. I have a soul. I live in a body. Praise God. Just say that throughout the day as it comes to your mind as the Holy Spirit brings it back to your remembrance. Say that and you'll become more and more aware of who you are as a spirit man or woman before anything else. And if you'll listen to my initial podcast, and we're actually going to go ahead and go into a little bit more of the rudimentary teaching, some of the foundational elements of teaching that uh, the Holy Spirit brought, you know, to me and and brought me through in a process of uh, revelation that I then began to really teach pretty much routinely, no matter what the uh, uh, context of teaching or who I was delivering it to. So let's talk a little bit about the Spirit-led life. I think it's good to go through some foundations here. And then I want to real quickly, after we see uh, you know, a podcast or two that we spend on this, go ahead and go into some things that the Holy Spirit is taking us through. Um, it's very exciting, some, some, uh, revelation and, and knowledge that the Holy Spirit is taking us into in terms of moving to a place like Paul said, I didn't come to you with words of persuasive wisdom of man. I came to you in power and demonstration of the Holy Spirit that your faith might rest in that. And when it comes right down to it, folks, as born again, children of God, whose character Whose ability do we really want to be representing here? We don't want to be representing the prowess of our intelligence or the prowess of our application to the things in these dimensions. We want to be basically the vessels of gold, the vessels of silver, those noble things that are used to service the the elements of the spirit, you know, the water of, of, of his word and the bread of his covenant hallelujah and and the power the eternal life that is rendered through those and so it is the power and demonstration of god that is going to produce a really i would say an indelible mark on people in terms of turning them to 
an understanding that God is indeed real. Uh, more than more than words, folks. And so we just need to get to that place. But to get to that place, we need to learn how to function in those things, even in our just our own lives first and foremost, before we can deliver them to other people. How we walk in the, the power of the gospel in our own homes. And so we've come through our confession there. You are spirit first. You have a soul. You live in a body. But you have been created in the image of God as a spirit, 100% complete in him. Perfect creation, standing in the right standing before the Father God because it has been imputed unto you. It has been endowed unto you. You have been recreated in the fabric of his likeness. So the Holy Spirit literally and you are one. That's how the Holy Spirit dwells in us because you are literally one with him. So let's go ahead and go into some aspects of what it means to live from the Spirit, a Spirit-led life, if you will. And the first thing we need to do, let's just, we're going to go through just several different uh, uh, concepts here, kind of build a case for it, if you will. You know, we need to understand that the Spirit of God is the life of God. And that, you know, like I've talked about in the first podcast, that we were really created Spirit first. Before we were created, you know, anything else, before God scooped up that lump of clay and breathed life into us, we were created spirit first. And so the bottom line is we were identified with God. We're literally tied to him by spirit from the beginning of the the foundation of this creation. And when God said, let us create man in his own image in Genesis chapter 1, he's talking about creating us in his likeness, spirit. That's what God is. God is a spirit. They that worship him as worship in spirit and truth, Jesus told the woman at the well. So if we're going to be created in the image of God, then if we're going to be created spirit, because that's what God is. God is spirit, so we're going to be created spirit. So we need to come to an understanding and revelation of really the fact that we are spirit first before we were anything else. And, and then what happened was, in Genesis chapter 2, then we see that God formed man from the dust of the earth. So another, and then he breathed, it says, he touched his literal lips to that creation and breathed, if you will, almost like a rescue breath in CPR. He released the life into us. Well, what was that life? That life, folks, I submit, is the spirit that we were created in Genesis chapter 1 uh, uh, first. We were created as spirit, then he, t- he literally breathed the essence of, of who we were, the creator touching the lips to his creation and literally breathing a piece of himself, his spirit, into our bodies and we became alive, a living being, if you will. So we are spirit first before we were anything else. God scooped up that lump of clay. He touched his lips to us and breathed that spirit into us. And when you look at, there's several different things that you can look at to kind of begin to understand a little bit about how we are spirit first. You know, how we are a spirit man. And, and I know you hear me say this word spirit hundreds of times, and this is new man now. And that word pneuma is the Greek word that's translated to the English language spirit. And even Holy Spirit, capital S. 
And there's a reason for it because, you know, I've, I've kind of gone over that to some, to some degree in the first podcast and you're just going to keep hearing this and keep hearing this and keep hearing this because this is a particular bent of the ministry that God's given me. And so I'm going to continue teaching this till I, till I don't have any breath left in this earth. And it still will be the consciousness, I believe, uh, for eternity because we know God is spirit. And so we're spirit. Created in his image, praise God. And, you know, we can look at several different scriptures here. You, know, you can look in Job 33, 4. It says, The Spirit of God hath made me, and the breath of the Almighty hath given me life. Here we see the Spirit as the agent of creation that Job recognizes. And then literally even in Job six sixty three, it's the Spirit that quickens. The flesh profits nothings. nothing. I'm sorry, I said Job, it's John. The words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. I talked about this in the previous podcast to understand that literally the words that emanate from the Father that make any difference in our lives in terms of carrying the power of his resurrection, carrying the power of his life, the essence of who he is for the spirit to work with, they aren't just inanimate utterances that are rendered into letters and, fra- and, and phrases and sentences and paragraphs on a page into chapters and verses for our soulish or mind or intellect level understanding and teaching. They are, folks, an essence of who he is. They are spirit. God is spirit. His word is spirit. And the power of his word is in the spirit. You have to understand that. We have to, if we're going to receive really the the life of God from the word, we have to come to that place. So praise the Lord, you understand, as we were talking about there in John 6, 63, that Jesus was saying that my words are spirit and they are life. So they're spirit before they're anything else. And we talked about in the previous podcast that really anything that you see in this dimension has a precedent in the spirit. Obviously, including us. I mean, we just we just got through walking through that. And anything else, I mean, that was conceived in the mind of God was really conceived in the spirit realm and was uttered forth and by the spirit then brought into action through faith and manifestation into this dimension. And so we see many, there's many different scriptures that can go into this. Uh, you know, we see even in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 2, it talks about the law, the spirit of life. What, it, what law is that talking about? That's the, talking about the law of the spirit, not the laws of these dimensions or the, you know, in terms of the three dimensions that we live in now or the law even of the intellectual dimension. It's talking about the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So there we even see two different kinds of law. We see laws in the context of two different realms, if you will. A realm of the natural, the law of sin and death, and, and the realm of the spirit. And so we talked a little bit about this last time, that the word, you know, let's, let's just back up for just a second here. You're going to hear me use the term original language. As I teach, you're going to hear me talk about the original language. When I talk about the original language, I'm talking about Greek which is the predominant language from which most of the New Testament was translated. 
And then I'm talking about Hebrew or Aramaic, which is the predominant original language from which most of the Old Testament was translated from. And so when you hear me use the original language, I'm talking about the original inspired utterance that it was captured in. So in the original language that the inspired utterance was captured in and rendered on the page. And so then when we want to know the true meaning and intent to its purest form, back to the original inspired word, then we go back to the original language. That's why you hear so many teachers talk about, well, from the Greek, this word means this, or from the Hebrew, Aramaic, this word means this. It's because the translations sometimes don't necessarily do the original intent justice. Let me give you a good example. The word love in the English language. We just don't have another word for love. I mean, you you could think about affection. You could think about things that pertain to love. But you really, you could say adore. But really, that's just something that manifests as a result of your care or concern from someone. I'm talking about the word love as it relates to what we see in the word of God and what we know in terms of who the Father is. I mean, John said that God is love. He equals love. Well, in the English language, I'm sorry, but we just don't have a rendering to really bring forth a separation of the degrees or the relevance of love in the context. So let me give you a good example. I could say, I love you to my wife. And that conveys you know, a tremendous power, I mean, in terms of relationship. If I truly mean that, and she knows that I mean that, and I tell her that I love her, that conveys a lot to her. But I also can turn around in almost in the same breath, and when I find out that we're having something for dinner that I dearly like, I could say, I love fried chicken. I love pizza. And you see, the reality is my wife isn't sitting there after I've just told her I love her. And then I say, oh, what do we have? You know, what am I going to what are we going to make for dinner? I do actually most of the cooking at my house. So, uh, you know, that's usually that's the question they ask me. And then immediately, you, you know, someone might say, oh, I love that. Well, after someone has just told you they love you and then they turn around and tell you that they love that pe- that food, whatever the food item is, you're not sitting there going, questioning, wait a minute, so I'm equal to that food in terms of the affection and care and concern you have for me? No. That's what I'm trying to get at when I say the importance of the original language in conveying and in looking at that is, is the ability to understand what the full meaning was that needs to be conveyed. So when I say the original language says this, then that's why I'm going back to the original language is so that we can can do the best we can to convey the original intent of the inspiration. So then you understand that in the English language, we have one word for love, and it's love. And so when you could try to convey the various meanings of love in context, it sometimes it can be a challenge whenever you're translating from a language that has more than one word that obviously can render different meanings. And so in the Greek there's actually three or four different words that can be translated to the English language, love. So in the New Testament, when you see the word love, you can understand that, you know, I, I need to go back to the original language to see exactly what contextually the inspired author was trying to convey by way of the Spirit of God. I mean, what was it, a type of love? 
the degree of love. And so like in the Greek, for instance, you know, there's a, there's a, a word, uh, phileo, uh, that, that particular Greek word is translated love. And that's, that's a, that's a word, uh, it, it, you know, it sounds like, and kind of like the, uh, uh, oh, the preliminary element, if you will, of the word Philadelphia, which is like city of love, city of friendship. Uh, you know, phileo is a, a type of love between friends. Uh, you have regard for someone and love for them because of your respect for them uh, and, and their uh, level of relationship to you. And it is a, a degree of love. There's an eros love. And, you know, you hear that word ero, and you think, I think about the uh, uh, prefix that goes to a word or a, a substance of the word erotic. And, of course, this is not really love in my, as far as I'm concerned, but it can be translated to love. And really, it just relates to more of a physical uh, attraction and, and the uh, affinity for, for something from a physical perspective, eros. And then there's the word agape. And a lot of people have heard that and have even adopted uh, that that particular Greek word uh, to name ministries, to name churches, and so forth. And when you see the word agape translated to love, you're talking about the highest form of love there is. We're talking about the love of God. We're talking about a love that is unconditional. We're talking about a love that is limitless in mercy. We're talking about a love that exists. And and literally, when you look at the translations from which the word love in English comes from the original language rendered from the original text, agape, you see it translated to love in the context of conveying who God is. And for instance, John, the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. There's an interesting concept. And when I, I'm, I've got to tell you, when I get to heaven, I'm going to have to go up to John and say, you know what? You're not the only one, man. He loved me too. Just, you know, and and just, you know, give him a nice uh, a jab on the shoulder and say, man, dude, I got a lot of revelation uh, from your understanding of the love that Jesus had for you. So, you know, just kidding. But anyway, you realize that that love, agape, is the highest form of love. John said, God is love. He is agape. So you go back to the original language from which that word love's come from. It comes from that word, agape, or a form of it. And, and when you see love translated from agape, you know you're talking about the substance of God. We're not talking about a man-born type of love. We're not talking about something that can come from the the uh, raw uh, corporeal substance or intellectual or emotional substance of man. We are talking about something that has to be, man has to be endowed with. And in fact, the Bible says of love that the Spirit of God shed abroad his love, his agape, in our hearts. That takes place whenever we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Well, of course he sheds abroad because because God comes to live in us. And who is God? God is love. So the substance of his character, of his person, comes to live inside of us. So, of course, the Holy Ghost sheds abroad his love because he comes to live. He brings the reality of that love as a living... uh, you know, a living concept, a living force inside of us. Praise God. 
So now we, have, we can understand that when we go back to the original language, we can get so much more understanding and potential revelation from it. And it's so important to, do, to conduct word studies. Because when you go and you see a scripture, for instance, over in Matthew, where Jesus is conveying to his disciples that in the last days, you know, evil will, will wax worse and worse and worse. This is the Greg paraphrase. And he says to his disciples, and the love of many will grow cold. If you go back to the original language and you see that that word love actually came from an, a, a derivative of agape, then you see that Jesus is talking about the love of God in the people of God can grow cold. That doesn't mean that the life force of who God is grows cold. It's that we allow the world and its influence to subvert and to overcome and suppress that inside of us. Jesus said, don't be overcome by the world, but overcome the world, you know, with good, you know, overcome the world uh, with his love, if you will. And so that's doing exactly the opposite. Jesus said, because the evil wax worse and worse that in the, in the end times, the love of many will grow cold. That's talking about agape there. See how important it is to know that wasn't phileo? Certainly not eros. That doesn't grow cold. Uh, so, you know, it's important to see that language is very important, particularly the language from which the original text was written, to really get the fullness of the uh, inspiration there. And so when you look in the New Testament and you look at the original language from which the word spirit is translated. I've talked about this in the first podcast, the inaugural podcast. It comes from the w- word pneuma. And that's where the ministry's namesake comes from, a contraction of pneuma, which means spirit or spirit man, if you will, and put an N on it for new man. And then that sounding like the English phrase, new, N-E-W, man, because if any man be in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, all things become new. So that's what this whole ministry is about. It's about teaching who you are as spirit first, then inspiring by way of the Holy Spirit through this, through my spirit, through your spirit, to receive the inspired utterance of the Father, which then become is able to take that utterance and plant it in your soul, in your mind. And as it grows and matures, it produces revelation. And that whole process, you know, by faith in the word of God, by way of the spirit is so important because you can read and read and read the word of God. And literally it's just no different than any other book on the shelf. You can achieve earthly knowledge from it. You can achieve wisdom from it. I mean, people can that aren't even Christians can read the uh, Psalms and apply, if they were to apply the things literally that are written in Psalms in so many forms and facets, there is much to be gained in terms of, of counsel, you know, and wisdom in that, in those uh, scriptures, just as they are literally. But I have to tell you that the truth and the life in the word of God is in the spirit where they were uttered from who they were uttered by 
And therefore, you have to receive them by your Spirit, from the Holy Spirit. And so, we're talking about that. We're kind of setting a little bit of foundation with respect to who we are as as a spirit man. And so, we're talking a little bit about the Spirit-led life right now. And so, pneuma, it's the forceful breath. It's, it's the forceful blast of air, if you will. So anytime you, you see the word spirit, you can also, a lot of times from an illustrative purposes, see the word wind or air associated with it. And, um, you know, and I talked about this a little bit last time, but, you know, Jesus uh, was talking and, and teaching somebody about the spirit. And he said, you know, you can see the effects of the wind in terms of what it does, but you can't actually see the wind itself. You can see the effects. You can see from where it comes, from where it goes, and what type of uh, activity it puts into motion. But you can't really see wind itself. And so, too, the spirit. Because the spirit is, is a different dimension than these three dimensions by which we partake through the five senses. Another aspect, if you will, talking about the aspects of spirit-led life, is that the Holy Spirit characterizes the church age. We live in the dispensation of the Holy Spirit. He's been poured out and will never leave. You know, we can see that in Acts chapter 2. He was released whenever Jesus fulfilled the, the fullness of what he had been called to do in becoming that sacrifice and executing that, uh, you know, all the actions uh, thereof. And was raised then unto to, uh, the Father and was anointed and returned back down to then tell the disciples, boys, ladies, I'm here to tell you, Terry here, because the power of the revelation of the, of the good news that you now have believed and have received a recreation of your spirits in is about to light your fire. And his name is the Holy Spirit and the Father's fixing to send him. And you need to tarry in Jerusalem until he comes. And we see in Acts chapter 2 the manifestation of that reality. That, and that, is, that typifies the New uh, uh, Testament church age that we continue to live in today. Nothing's changed, folks, from that. Praise God. Except that we are growing. We're growing in who we are, learning who we are as spirit first. Have a soul, live in a body. And we are carrying the presence of God inside of us as living arcs. Praise God. And then he unites that church, giving the supply of God's life, will, and power to each of its members. That's what the Spirit of God does. He brings unity. He gives the supply of God's uh, um, life and his will and power to each of its members. And listen to what Psalms 133.2 says, and it's it was speaking prophetically, talking about Unity and the, res- the results of that, whenever you see a unity of, of the uh, uh, brothers and sisters of, of God coming together, it says it's like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard, that went down to the skirts of his garment. You know, the reality of that scripture is talking about anointing. And if you remove the spirit of God from the equation, there is no anointing. The anointing is literally from the original language, the smeared on, rubbed on in power or endowment of power, something that cannot be easily 
uh, dispensed with. It's, it becomes a part of and becomes soaked in, if you will, to whatever it's applied to. And it brings in an, a divine enablement. That's what the anointing does. It brings a divine, it's a divine enablement to do something that you can't do in your own strength or your own mind or knowledge. That's what the anointing does. And it says it moves burdens and it destroys yokes. Praise God. Hallelujah. And that unity that is brought about by the Spirit of God in the New Testament church when he was released, literally that, that brings and ushers in an anointing upon the body of Christ. And I have to tell you that that anointing, that precious ointment has been running down the uh, the the head, which was Jesus. That's where it all began, praise God, and down upon his beard and the neck, which could be uh, you know prophetically symbolizing the fivefold ministry and then into the body, praise God, which is the, the church triumphant. Glory to God, all the members of the church. Of, of the body of Christ. And that anointing has been running down and it's on the, upon the garments. Hallelujah. Down to the hem of the garment. I'm telling you right now, we're not waiting for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been released and his power, praise God, is right now available unto us if we'll believe and we will learn and apply ourselves to the Spirit and from the Spirit draw that anointing and, and release it by faith. Praise God. In, particularly in the areas that you have been anointed in, whatever those things might be, need to learn about them. So what I'm saying is, is we aren't waiting for God to send the Holy Spirit. He's been poured out. The oil of the Spirit's presence has already hit the garment. Hallelujah. That's what happened in Acts chapter 2. I'm telling you, it came down upon the head first, which was Jesus. He's the head of the, of the body of Christ. And then that precious oil Whenever Jesus said, Terry in Jerusalem, boys and gals, when I leave, then it's the Holy Spirit will be sent. I'm telling you, that's when it hit the garment was in that day of Pentecost experience. <clears throat> Rolled down off the beard and hit the garment. And it's still flowing over the body of Christ as I speak even this right now. Praise God. And it's rolling out of me even right now as, as, I'm, as I'm delivering these uh, truths. Praise God under that unction. So don't pray the prayers of old, folks. Take not thy Holy Spirit from me, like, like was said by one of the uh, patriarchs of old in the Old Testament. The, whole, the Holy Ghost is not something that is given and taken away, given and taken away. Let's don't sing songs. Let's don't proclaim uh, uh, that potential that the Holy Spirit will leave us. The Bible says exactly the opposite in another scripture, that he will never leave or forsake you. I tell you, we need to live in the, the realities of the new covenant that have replaced, you know, uh, the things that the old covenant foreshadowed that, and have now been fulfilled by Jesus. Praise God. Let's live in that aspect that the Holy Spirit is not going to be taken from us. Thank you for joining me today on the New Man Now podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. I trust you received by way of the Spirit of God revelation to illuminate your mind and bring understanding and renewal unto the Word of God. Until next time, may you be filled with the knowledge of His will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Be blessed in Jesus' name.